Hello and welcome to another episode of To Be Perfectly Honest. This week we're talking about Game of Thrones Season 1, Episode 4, Cripples, Bastards, Bastards, and and Broken broken Things. things. And you have Corey. And I'm Anel. And we are going to jump right into it. So this one is a shorter one. We had talked about a little bit in the last episode, possibly combining 4 and 5. 5 is nice and juicy and thick, and we are going to actually put that on its own episode. So this one's just going to be a little bit of a short one, but let's go through and talk about this episode. Okay, so we're going to do a quick recap of this episode, and then we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of it. Okay, so this episode's called Cripples, Bastards, and Broken Things. We have Bran, who has a dream where there's a three-eyed raven that leads him into the Stark Crypts. We're introduced to Hodor, who is now his personal wheelchair. Tyrion is refused to stay at Winterfell. We're not sure why everyone is so pissy. Um, He shows that he has a plan to help Bran out, but uh, this doesn't really change anybody's mind too much, and he decides to leave. Tyrion is clued into the absence of Catelyn, and he talked to the Greyjoy boy about being captive of the Starks. And when Tyrion um, talks to Greyjoy about the rebellion that happened, we figure out a little bit more about how Greyjoy became a ward of the Starks. We go back to the wall where we see a new recruit named Samuel Tarly of Horn Hill. He's a coward, but John sticks up for him. It seems like he'll be joining the band of misfits, but it doesn't impress the head guy. Sir Alistair, who's kind of like the drill instructor for the group, and it seems like this is going to be a hard and long time for Samuel Tarly. We go back to Dothraki, and we see that uh, they have reached their capital of Vast Dothrak with Khaleesi. We also find out that Joris sold slaves in Westeros, and that's why he was exiled, Um, and it was actually Ned Stark that exiled him. We have a sex slave that is with Viserys, and they talk about dragons and how the brave men rode to the Westeros from Valeria to create the Iron Throne. Um, and we find out that Viserys actually hasn't even seen a dragon himself as they died out long before he was born. They actually got so small that they were the size of dogs before they just couldn't get them to hatch anymore. Sansa is throwing a fit back in Westeros and she's having a little hate my dad, poor me, my dog is dead moment. Um, Ned has not been able to convince Robert to halt the tournament and there have been worries about the influx of people in the capital. Ned actually decides he is going to take some of his own personal guards and get some more money in order to secure the event. And he talks to the Grand Maester about John Aaron and we find out that the sickness came on very fast and that John wanted a book called um, The Lineages and Histories of the Great Houses of the Seven Kingdoms before he died. And he kept on repeating, the seed is strong. We find out that poison is a weapon of cravens, eunuchs, and women. And uh, we have thrown in there that, did you know that um, Varys is a eunuch? Hmm, kind of interesting that's pointed out directly. Arya is delving into her studies with Sirio. They talk of Bran's future and um, Arya's. We find out that Arya doesn't really want to get married and have kids, and she just wants to be a knight like her dad. Back at the wall, we have Sam and John talking, and we find out that Sam's father didn't have a very good relationship with him, and he actually forced him to become the wall, or otherwise he was going to murder him and make it look like an accident. We have Ned with Littlefinger. They're walking around the grounds of the capital, and they find out that there are literally spies everywhere. Some of them are Littlefinger, some of them are the Queens, and some of them are the Spiders. They talk about Sir Hugh was immediately knighted after John Aaron was killed, and they find that suspicious. We also find that there is a blacksmith in town that has a boy named Gendry that was of peak interest to John Aaron. And when Ned goes and talks to him, he finds out that John Aaron wanted to know what his mother was like, what color her hair was, and Ned figures out that this is the bastard son of Robert. Um, Jamie is posted outside of the king's quarters as um, the king is 
screwing around with some whores, and we find out that this is what the king likes to do to torture Jamie when he is on duty. Ned has one of his men send a um, bit of information to Robert, and when he comes, he talks a little bit to Jamie, and they find out that they were both at the Battle of Pike, which is where the Greyjoys were paid back for their brutality, and they were killed, and we had Theon actually taken from them and brought as a Stark ward. Back at the wall, the other initiates are giving Sam a really hard time, so John and his couple of friends decide to give him one of a blanket party with ghosts, and they promise to kill him if they touch or lay a finger on Sam. Later in the training yard, no one really wants to touch Sam, and Sir Alistair throws a fit because he knows that it is going to be a hard life for Sam at the wall, and there's not doing any favors by letting him be a little bit of a coward. Um, back at Vastothrak, Viserys is tripping um, over the power that seems to be falling out of his fingers, and he attacks uh, Daenerys, and she attacks him back with a belt, and she says that you have no right to have a braid, as you've had no victories, and finally she stands up for herself, saying next time she's going to cut off his hands if he touches her. John is still a virgin because he does not want to have a bastard of his own, we learn up at the wall while he's talking with Sam. And then we have Sir Alistair burst in, he tells us a scary story about Mance Raider. This is the leader of the Wildlings, and they use these storms to their advantage. They sneak in and they attack everybody. It is so cold that if you go to take a piss, your dick freezes off. If you um, run out of food, you end up having to eat your comrades at arms. And then he says that he would be able to have quite a feast off of Sam as he's a fat little piggy. We go back to the jousting and we see that Sir Hugh is fighting with Sir Gregor Clegane, also known as the Mountain, and he is also the Hound's brother. And while jousting, Sir Hugh is in an unfortunate accident where he gets pierced through the throat. Hmm, seems a little suspicious. The Mountain and the Hound, they are both fighting, and we find out that the Mountain burned the Hound's face because he was playing with a toy that he liked. So both of these guys are a little bit of psychopaths. Speaking of Psychopath, we have Cersei coming to Ned's chamber and they have a little bit of talk about putting their past behind them, about all the wolves and the fighting, and uh, they do that for a couple seconds. They talk about Robert and how he'll never really change, and then we have Cersei ask, what is Ned really doing there? And then all of that goes to shit. They basically make some veiled threats and talk about how they were trained to kill their enemies. Tyrion goes into the same inn that Catelyn's at. She is trying to be on the DL, but probably Tyrion notices that she's with the guy with the long sideburns that he ties under his uh, chin. You can't not recognize that guy. And everything goes wrong. Catelyn stands up and she rallies the bannerman of her father, as her father is a Tullyman, and they are pretty close to the Riverlands. And they decide to take Tyrion captive, and she formally accuses him of trying to murder her son. And that is where we end. So, Anel, what do you think about all that? So one thing I noticed is the crippled bastards and broken things. It kind of points out um, and puts a highlight on how this universe treats people who are different. Kind of unifies Bran and John and Tyrion in the fact that they are different. And it kind of draws parallels between all of their stories. Also, it has a lot of firsts. Like, this is the first time we actually see um, Hodor step in and be... Brands like, I don't know. Wheelchair from the future. Pretty much. I definitely agree. I think that the title definitely shows that we, we are talking about these three different individuals. And you know something that's interesting as a person who admittedly has not finished all of the series, but definitely has read a lot of the books, 
each of the chapters is kind of like this, where you have a, a person that you're um, reading about, and then you go to the next one, and it's a different person, and you have this perspective. And I think that this is definitely pointing out, like, this episode is these three different people we're really focusing on. We're, we're getting a lot more to their characterization. Their so. perspectives is what you're saying. Yeah, definitely. So I, I can definitely see that. Um, and I think we, we add a little bit of characterization to some people. You know, we look at, like, <clears throat> Tyrion. Before we've seen him, he's kind of like a smartass, a drunk. We know he likes hookers. But really, we don't see a whole lot of characterization with him, except for he's kind of a little bit of a dick, but also like an honest dick to like John. But like a dick like how Catelyn's a dick? No, not like that. He's a kind of smart ass, I guess, would be maybe the better way to say it. You know, when they're camping and he's like, Oh, um, yeah, you're a bastard. Like you might as well be a bastard, own it. I'm you know, I'm a I'm a little person. I own it. Like you just gotta do that. But Let's we be don't be real, he's an imp, not a little person. An imp. You imp. But um I think now we kind of see that, you know, he honestly does have a lot of love in his heart. And, like, he comes back and he gives these plans to Bran, even when all the Winterfell's like, oh, screw you, we don't like you. And he's like, well, here you go. Like, this kid's going to have a hard time, and I know how that goes. So, Do like, you? here you go. You know, <laughs> well, if you guys didn't know, I don't have any legs. <laughs> they were lost <laughs> up in Winterfell. Let me ask you this, though. Do you think there's other little people in Winterfell or anywhere? Yeah. Oh, totally. Have you seen them? Well, I think usually they're not Lannisters, so they probably are hidden from sight. I mean, let's be honest. Do you think they just kill them at birth? I mean, that's probably what happens to a lot of them. I mean, I think, honestly, that probably happens to a lot of girls in this universe, too. Like, like I honestly don't know if Tyrion would be alive if he was not a Lannister. Oh, yeah. I mean, there'd definitely be a high, a high chance of that, for sure. I totally don't think that there is a reason why he's a really interesting character, but there would be really no way to put him in there otherwise. Like, no one would respect him. He has to have armies, like, basically at his will in order to, you know, play this game of chess. So, the Three-Eyed Raven, is this the first time that we see the Three-Eyed Raven? Um, didn't we see him just, like, a short little bit before? So we're getting a little bit more. We're then. definitely getting more, uh, more than just a shot of it. And then also I was um, kind of looking at Arya's storyline. Do you think she's a broken thing? Because, you know, as a woman in this part of the world, you're supposed to kind of fall in line with, like, being a girl and traditionally wearing a dress and not being into fighting. I don't, you know, I don't know if we see her as a broken thing because... I, I don't feel like she's broken. I feel like, if anything, she's enlightened and she's enabled. Um, I don't think she conforms to everybody's stereotypes of what a woman should be. But to me, this episode, it's kind of what we were talking about before. It's really those three people that I think fit this category. Mm -hmm. um, but I can see where you're coming from. But that's the theme, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I would say so. All of these people that are traditionally looked down upon as either useless or invalid. They don't fall in line with the expectation. They're yeah, not meeting totally. the expectation. And how they're, you know, actually very, um, they're doing great things. Now, the thing is, is we're kind of on the start of the journey for a lot of these people. And, you know, I would even say this for, um, so we, we're talking about Tyrion as one of them. Tyrion's older. He's 35, I think, at this point. But I think this is the start of his actual journey, you know. 
he he's starting to be more independent on himself. He, um, you know, is taking more of an interest in things than just going to brothels and getting drunk. And I think the same thing is true of John, and I think the same thing is true of Bran. So I think it's the start of the story of how these people are going to go on to greater things. We're really focused on Westeros. What about the broken things over on Essos? Oh, definitely. You Jorah? Think... Jorah's gotten totally. exiled. I think my main thing is, um, you know, I was just saying, you know, these things that are broken and they're on their journey to start to be something great. Daenerys. Totally broken. I mean, essentially assaulted, at least sexually, maybe just a little bit physically too, by her brother. She's starting to take control and she's like, I'm going to be one fierce motherfucking Targaryen and you're going to deal with it and you're not going to tell me what to fucking do. This is where we see in this episode she's starting to get into the step to be a greater person. She's like going to flip the script. Totally. Spoiler. Whoop, whoop. You can tell. I mean, she's just not going to put up with this anymore. And then we also learn how Sir Gregor Clegane became the Hound. This is also, yeah, he is also broken. So yeah, we have a lot of these these ties. Um, and while we're just getting the little bits and pieces of this, man, I feel really bad for this guy. Like, you have your father who's basically like, you're so fucking useless that I'm going to make an accident and no one's going to know that I killed you. Like, this is your own father. And then on top of this, he's like, okay, but you can go to the wall. This is my question for you. How did Sam even make it to the wall? <laughs> like, I don't know. He got dropped off by a stork. Like, literally. Like, that is a rough journey for anybody, I guess, you know? And then, um, like, if he was going with any other people traveling there, they're all rapers and thieves, right? Like, you would think they would just be like, I'm going to gut you like a pig. He just, he can't talk. He can't talk. That'll be the dead giveaway for the situation that John is in because I think he is actually like deluded himself into thinking that he's in like a great position there and reading between the lines and especially that um, when his like drill sergeant comes in is like we were eating people like you in the winter and you couldn't put your dick outside because it would freeze off like John is in for a world of hurt and by friending Sam I mean I know he's got a good heart but man they like like, come on, Sam. Just, like, try a little bit, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, of that friendship, uh, Sam definitely got the better end of the stick. Yes. 100%. So, definitely interesting. Um, you know, another thing in this episode that really stuck out to me and I really enjoyed, and this is where I was like, I need more. I need to figure out what's going on, is they talk about the dragons and how they basically became so deformed and they, like, turned, like, little dogs and then they just died. But that some of these skulls were just, like, ginormous and would fill up the entire kind of chamber, like Valerian the Dread. I would love to see this. Oh, for sure. And it makes you kind of wonder if these are the descendants of these Targaryens that are supposed to be these all-powerful at one point. It kind of makes you wonder if, like, them being the end of the last dragons, if they're kind of like the cat-sized version of these dragons in, in the and people, people form. form. Yeah, totally. It it definitely calls to, and I know I've read the book, so this is probably not as uh, uh, apparent when you're just watching the TV show, but there's such a vast history before this TV show, you know, before what we're seeing right now. And it's very layered and rich and every little bit, I mean, we talked about this in the first episode, it is so easy to just gloss over some of these details and not realize that they're talking about a huge deal that has really formed this entire realm. This is another one of those things. These dragons were essentially what brought Westeros all together. 
forged they the forged throne. the throne. Um, and the people behind it, we don't know a whole lot about them. All we know is that Robert hates them. But besides that, we, do, we don't know anything about them and how they formed this great and amazing empire. So um, definitely looking forward to more of that. Um, okay, this is my question. So Sir Hugh, we assume that he is the one who poisoned John Arend because all of a sudden he got rich. He got all this armor, Ned's on the track of it, and then he dies suddenly. Definitely fishy. But who do you think did it at this point? The reasoning behind Bran getting pushed out of the um, window, which we know Jamie did it, but Catelyn doesn't. She's assuming it has something to do with Tyrion at this point. And then we also have this mystery that Ned's kind of unraveling, and I think he's digging himself... Um, down into a deeper hole than he realizes. And I think all of these things may be actually connected. There might be a bigger mastermind behind all of these things. Everything together. It seems like there is a lot of stuff going on and I don't necessarily know if it is all connected, but it still is all kind of coincidental, you know? Because like I said before, if you are someone that's gonna go and kill the Hand of the King, are you then going to go and push a boy out of a window? And then are you then going to go and try to assassinate that boy? Like, I know the Lannisters look really guilty, but I think they're a little bit of a red herring at this point. Yeah, totally. I mean, I don't think that there's any doubt. Well, we have the perspective that we know who pushed Bran out the window. Yes, true. But we just don't know who's trying to frame it away from what's really going on and trying to put this... Like, make the Lannisters take the fall. Why do you think the dragons became stunted? Oh, well, I think it's because um, the magic started disappearing. The magic of the world? Everyone stopped believing? Mm-hmm. The ghost grass got shorter and the dragons got smaller. I honestly don't know, but I have a feeling that, um, you know, these people started becoming, like oh, I'm going to just sit here and hold this power. And they probably didn't go off and, you know, pillage. It's a lot like Robert, right? Robert's like this behemoth of a man with a hammer that, like, blows people's heads off with it. So you think but... the dragon started drinking? Exactly. <laughs> they had a drinking <laughs> problem. They loved whores. Um, no, but you know what I mean? Like, it's like the, I can't remember what the saying is, but it's like basically, like, if you don't use your skills and techniques, like, you lose them. So if they didn't go out and, like, every other day, like, go and conquer another land with a freaking dragon... They didn't ride the dragons. The dragons didn't fly. They didn't use them that much. They didn't breed angry motherfucking dragons. Like, then, yeah, then they had these little weak dog ones. So I think that's what happened. They got complacent and they got comfortable. Could it be that they were keeping them constrained? Even keep those dragons in that capital. It's just, it's insane. Um, but that was just kind of across my mind as well. So... We have this conversation where Ned and Cersei kind of have like a heart-to-heart. -heart, and at first it sounds like they're like, let's let bygones be bygones. But then it starts being really aggressive again. And it's like, I, I, this, I, I know I've said this like every episode so far, but why are the Lannisters acting like dickholes to everybody and making them more suspicious? Like, Cersei should be coming to Ned and being like, okay, yes, we're never going to change Robert, blah, blah, blah. But she should be like, you know, I know you're going through a lot. And if you need anything, just let me know. Like, 
I am glad you're here, and I'm glad you're you're watching out for Robert, even though we've had our differences. Like instead, she's like, "But I killed my enemies too." Like, it's like, when are they gonna learn like to be a little covert? You would think they're like the master manipulators of all this, but they're really just like they got RBF all the time and they're going off on people. Like, I think it's that overconfidence. Like, I'm untouchable. You can't touch me, so I might as well tell you what I'm gonna do because it doesn't matter because I'm. MF and Cersei Lannister. I do what I want. Yeah, I I don't know. It just it just keeps on coming across to me like you guys could be a little more subtle. And that's why I feel like they're not the master manipulators behind all of this. They're not subtle enough. So that's what makes me point to the small council. Like someone or multiple people on here are manipulating pulling, things. Pulling the strings. Yep, totally. Um you know, <laughs> at the end here we have Tyrion and he notices Catelyn. I'm pretty sure it's sideburns, too, that he notices. I mean, you notice that guy. I could notice him in a crowd of 600 people. Like, oh, you got long sideburns and you had time under your face like a frickin' weirdo. I, I mean, what's so weird about that? Oh, you do oh, I forgot. Awkward. Anel does the same thing. Um, <laughs> what would you think would happen if that didn't, if they didn't notice? Do you think Catelyn would have gone home and just been like, well, I'll wait for Ned? I mean, who can tell? Really, what can you expect from her? I don't know. She's, I I can't believe I can't believe she left the capital like that. Anyways, um, but yeah, man. I mean, what would be different if that had happened? Um, and you know, Catelyn has to know. And I mean, I guess for sure we don't really know this, but let's think logically. Like Tyrion, from what we've seen so far, from his characterization that we've seen early in the episode, he cares about Bran. Like, and we obviously know it wasn't him. So we know this, she doesn't. But he doesn't have the appearance that he would do that. He doesn't act like he hates, you know, the Starks. And he's physically an imp. Like, is he really going to be pushing someone out of there? And then on top of that, Catelyn went to the tower. She found a fucking hair the size, like, from someone's head to their butt, like, unless Tyrion has pubes the size of Cersei's hair. Hey, it could be more than pubes. What if he has those <laughs> long armpit hairs? I just think he that... He ties him like that guy's beard. <laughs> God, seriously, it was probably him. Um, <laughs> it's like, unless Tyrion, you know, like, Catelyn needs to do investigation discovery and figure out that that hair would not belong to him and that it's Cersei. I mean, come on, we just gotta know this. Um, does that bug you at all? I just, I, I feel like she's so, she's being like so on her period or something. Like, just like, ah, you can't watch that. Ah! Like, <laughs> she's not thinking logical. Like, I mean, who else's hair could it be? I mean, I mean, it's one strand of hair. Can she really see like how? I mean, she picked it up it on it was the Lannisters. If you pick it up on the Lannisters and you know it's a girl's hair, it's long as fuck. Like, it's one person. Is there no one else blonde in that whole Winterfell that could have been in that tower? Not in Winterfell, but it could have been any of the people that were in the Lannister. And she knows this, but that's what my point is. It's like, what what the hell? I, It just bugs me a little bit. I, I know it it happens with the story, and that's fine, but it every time I watch this, it's just so frustrating. Well, I'm like, her, Catelyn, come on. I mean, honestly, if Littlefinger and her are as great of friends as he portrays them to be, you know, and how she paints it out to Ned that he, yeah, he has a thing, but, you know. It's fine. It's yeah. whatever. No big deal. Then how do we know Littlefinger's not in her ear? Like, oh, weird. It's, could it be this? 
I mean, he essentially does say this, but it's he says still it to Ned. But it just doesn't. It, he could just easily up. be in her ear. I mean, Littlefinger could care less about Ned. It's Cotlin. Cotlin Stock. Cotlin Stock. Um, yeah, it's definitely interesting. I mean, for I mean, Sansa could have like a really fine red hair that looks blonde in the Winterfell lighting. Okay, now, so I have one kind of weird thing that I picked up, and it's not really a question, it's more of just an observation. But did you notice, so Jamie is standing guard um, outside the door of King Robert, and Jory is sent to give King Robert a message, and they're talking. And they end up talking about the Greyjoy Rebellion. And it's really interesting because um, Jory says that he almost got his eye taken out by the Greyjoys. And the next time we see him, Jamie is obviously trying to attack Ned, and he stabs Jory right through the eye. Well, that's a little immediate foreshadowing. Exactly. Um, yeah, very uh, graphic, as I might say as well. Like, was not expecting that. And Jamie just kind of shrugs it off like, nah, that's nothing. Well, since we're talking about foreshadowing, some things that I noticed in this episode, um, also in regards to the Greyjoy, well, Theon, was, did you notice that um, when Theon was in the room with Bran, that Summer growls, and you know... Oh, yeah, I did, actually. I did think about that. Yeah, isn't that weird? Uh, another thing is um, uh, when Tyrion was talking about loyalty to his captures, his captors, that kind of foreshadows, like, you know, these are the things that Theon will remember, and those are the things that will pick at him and cause him to, to do things later on. Yeah, I, I think that... Um, especially here early on, we really have Theon is like a duality. He's half Greyjoy, he's half Stark. And those things are diametrically opposed to each other. And so you have these competing forces against each other. You have the Stark side of him that he's been, you know, brought up since he was this little kid, where you're going to do the noble thing and that family is important and um, honor above everything else. And then you have the Greyjoy side, which he knows he I mean that's when he was very very little it was very formative for him of we don't sell we go around we rape we, we pillage we take what we want and these th two things I think are coming to a head and clashing and then you have someone like Tyrion or like Jamie or like the multitude of people that keep on reminding him you're just a captive I mean even Ross does it yeah but you of course Ned, Ned is who he is and he doesn't get treated like a captain captive yeah. He gets treated just like Ned's own children. Yeah, totally. I mean, Ned's raising a, air quotes, bastard, uh, air quotes, captive, and then <laughs> yeah. his children right alongside them. So um, having that um, contrast between the way that you were raised in, uh, before Ned and then the way that you were raised after Ned has got to eat at you, like which way is right. And then you... You know, I would imagine, you know, I, I'm not adopted and I've never been a captive, but I would imagine that in Theon's case, he's in a constant struggle between which one, you know, nature versus nurture. Is this way right or is this other way right? And if this is my captor, shouldn't this be wrong? Even though, you know, whatever, mm, totally. who knows? Um, some other foreshadowing that um, I noticed was from Danny's Handmaiden. Do you remember she was talking about, I've seen a man who can change his face the way people change outfits or clothes. Mm -hmm. 
And she's also seen a man from a shy who had a dagger of dragon, dragon glass. glass. Yeah. So those are all things that are kind of foreshadowing the future and kind of give you a glimpse into this world, which I thought was really cool in retrospect. Totally. Yeah, I think that scene, um, you know, a lot of people either love it or they hate it. Um, it's one of these things that has been nicknamed, they call it sex position. So it's basically whenever they need to do a big exposition dump. So something that is from the books that's important, but they don't really have a scene for it and they don't want to do like a flashback. They tend to do it in a sexy, erotic scene. And um, we've seen a couple of these, but I think this is one of the best examples of it. Up until this point, we really haven't heard anything about dragons, the history of the Targaryens. And this is a great insight. I mean, it immediately makes me feel like I want to see frickin' dragons, you know? Before this, we've seen eggs. And that's a, and I, Viserys has basically said, I'm the last dragon. Other than that, not really mentioned at all. Yeah. Did you hear how Viserys says the dragon's names? That's not very mm -hmm. sexy. Um, well, it's creepy. <laughs> He's <laughs> For sure. super creeper. He's like, Valerian the Dread. <laughs> <laughs> She's like playing with his dick. Like, awkward. Weird. Yeah. Um, did you notice any other foreshadowing? I feel like it's everywhere. Um, honestly, if I wrote all of it down, I feel like I would write down the entire episode. Almost. You know, the only other poignant one that I uh, saw enough to make note of was the um, call ahead to Arya and the that's not me. Oh, yeah, totally. I I love the fact that she stands up for who she is from right from the beginning. Like, strong, independent woman. Like, I'm not going to be -E no queen. R-E-S-P-E-C-T, do you know about me? Not Sansa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> is a definite, like, uh, opposite situation. Yes. Can you imagine growing up with someone like For that sure. as your older sister that you're just like, ugh. Barf. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, no, um, this episode is definitely fairly straightforward, but it does have a lot of important parts. Um, I don't know. I, honestly, there wasn't a whole lot that I found that I needed to talk about. Anel, do you feel like there's anything else? To me, I kind of felt like there was an, uh, another theme besides just the bastards, um, yep, totally. broken things theme. And it was like how it was how connected people are. Yeah. You there was like the very end scene with Catelyn and how even though she's a Stark now, she was able to call all the bannermen from her Tully. Yeah. Yeah, from Tully, from House Tully, and come together against the Lannisters, who we're already seeing develop um as this really powerful uh family. So mm -hmm. To be able to be a Stark now, but still call on your uh, maiden sigil to um, basically take arms against your enemy, even if it is a Lannister, that shows you, like, that's a major power play in my mind. You know, she's still connected. Also, um, the scene with Peter Baelish, and he's walking with Ned in the courtyard at King's Landing. <laughs> with the spies. Mm-hmm. Like, look at that. There's a spy from there, a spy from there. And the fact that he knows all this and he can move and shake with the best of them. And it, it de definitely is showing how well connected these people are. And it's definitely setting a tone for um, Ned being kind of a fish out of water. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you. everybody is playing this game on like 20 different levels. Except for Ned. Except for Ned, who is like, 
I'm just going to go in and play by the I'm rules. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. And literally no one is playing by the rules. Like, oh, awkward. Um, I wonder how this is going to turn out. Yeah, it's um, definitely <laughs> interesting, to say the least. Um, you know, he does make a valiant effort, I feel like, but it's just completely two different places. Like you pointed out, you know, in the northern regions, um, you know, when they're on the King's Road and they get to, like, this Tully area and above that, like, all of these people are loyal to the ideas and honor, and that's what makes people do this for generations and generations. When you're down in the capital, people are loyal to their pocketbooks. It's every man for themselves. Yep, totally. So, um, and then, you know, we just, we hear it time and time again, like, and it's obviously the name of the series, A Game of Thrones. Like, you you think there's two players, there's three. Oh, then you thought there was three, there's five. Oh, you don't even know who's playing for who yet. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you can definitely tell that this is a web that is been woven very tightly and is going to take a lot more than Ned just bulging in there and being like, oh, I'm projecting Robert. And and the people who are playing the game see him come in and they're like, are you serious? Yeah. It's like a pro boxer seeing an amateur step in the ring. Like, are you kidding me? Even Cersei asks, what are you even doing here? Yeah, exactly. I wonder what, it, I, I kind of wish we did see John Aaron a little bit before, mm-hmm. you know? I would like to see how he's been doing this for like 17 years. Was he any better at playing the game or? Um, well, I think uh, actions speak louder than words and he's not <laughs> speaking any words anymore. This so. is very true, but he did make it 17 years, so. Um, well, with that, I think we have talked about this episode quite a bit. We are going to be getting into five here soon, and that one is actually quite, um, this is like a season changer, I feel like. So, um, if you guys haven't been watching, this is definitely one you'll want to watch and catch up on, um, episode five, season one, and we will get that to you guys next Sunday. As always, if you guys want to leave us some feedback, we appreciate it. If you go down in the description and the podcast app, you can click right on our email. And we'd love if you rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps us out a bunch. As always, I'm Corey. I'm Anel. And be perfectly honest. <laughs>